This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for joining me on the special pilot episode of the Diving Board Podcast. I am your host, Jill, and I'm just so excited to have everybody here. This is a project I have wanted to get off the ground for a very long time. So I finally figured out GarageBand, finally figured out how to turn that metronome off, and um, finally learned how to figure out how to use this microphone. So we've come a long way, baby, and here we are. So again, like I said, I've wanted to launch this project for a very long time, and kind of my goal with the Diving Board podcast is I really want to feature just my very extensive knowledge of pop culture that I've honed over the last 20 years. I've always been obsessed with pop culture. Even when I was a kid, I was reading People Magazine. I had a subscription to Teen People Magazine, RIP. Uh, I was always watching Each Hollywood Story or those, you know, crazy compilation shows on VH1. I loved those. And I really wanted to provide them in a deep dive format and really condensed format where I will fact check and I will research so that you don't have to. And especially when movies and shows are coming out about old pop culture moments, I've always been the person to kind of go and fact check and see what actually happened and how accurate were these shows or movies. And that's kind of what my goal is with the the diving board podcast. I want you to know that all of this information is 100% the truth, or at least as close to the truth as I can get, because I have taken time to research everything and really give you the true story of what happened with these moments in pop culture. Because I kind of do fancy myself to be an investigative journalist. I just like to know what happened. I like to know the truth and I like to feel like I was there. And sometimes, well, actually, I think most of the time, the truth is stranger than fiction. So a lot of times what actually happened in the real world is so much more interesting than what these movies and televisions provide to, television shows provide to us. So here I am to give you all of my favorite deep dives on some of my favorite pop culture moments. And I hope you find it super interesting because I find it very interesting and I hope to give you some very intriguing facts about these pop culture moments so that you can impress your friends like at your next dinner party or or hangout. And I mean, I like to think it's very impressive, but I also can be sort of delusional at times. So let's just call a spade a spade. But here we are diving in special initiation of the Diving Board Podcast. Get ready. So excited. So As I was thinking about how to launch this podcast and what should be our first deep dive, I was kind of like going through the Rolodex in my head of pop culture moments. And trust me, it is a long Rolodex. And if you don't know what a Rolodex is, feel free to Google it. Congratulations on being young, but (laughs) just Google it. And I was kind of just like flipping through in my mind and seeing like, okay, what is 
a really great pop culture scandal to kick the podcast off. And this particular scandal has always been really intriguing to me because it was one of the first scandals that I was old enough to kind of like understand and follow in real time on my own and kind of just gather the information myself instead of it being like secondhand from my mom or, you know, the the different kids in my neighborhood or just, I was just able to fact check on my own. And I've always been really intrigued by this particular scandal because it can bind a lot of my personal interests and that were, you know, that was like celebrities, Hollywood, true crime. And that is why this scandal has just always stood out to me as extremely, extremely interesting. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, we are going to do our first diving board deep dive on the iconic scandal of the bling ring. So if you have never heard of the bling ring or have absolutely no knowledge of this group, I will start totally baseline ground zero on this crew. So the bling ring was a group of college age, high school age kids. They all lived in Los Angeles and they would get together and break into some of the most famous celebrities at the time's homes and just rob them of their belongings. And this entire crime spree lasted from about October 2008 through August 2009. So almost a solid year. These kids were kind of terrorizing Hollywood and freaking out celebrities and just breaking into their homes and stealing whatever they can get their hands on. Now, all in all, the bling ring stole about $3 million worth of cash and belongings. Actually, most of this belonged to Paris Hilton. They hit her house several times, but they also hit several celebrities, which I will definitely get into. But let's start. Let's take it from the top and see like how did the bling ring start? Now, Rachel Lee kind of spearheaded this entire initiative. Sounds so much like a resume, but Rachel Lee was really the ringleader of the bling ring. Rachel Lee grew up comfortably in suburban Los Angeles, meaning you know she had money. She Her parents did well. She actually came from a divorced family. She lived mainly with her mom. Her mom was a successful businesswoman. She, she actually owned um, a couple Kumon locations. And if you are not familiar with Kumon, you are probably good at math, but Kumon is similar to a Sylvan's Learning Center. And I was not good at math as a child and never really have been. So I would go to Kumon. My dad would take me to Kumon every Wednesday. And I actually really liked Kumon because I always thought the teachers were really nice and they made learning fun and I actually really enjoyed it. But my vivid memory of Kumon is every Wednesday, my dad would take my sister and I after Kumon to get a custard at Culver's and my Illinois and Wisconsin friends will definitely appreciate that call out. And Culver's is finally in Chicago. Very exciting time. What a time to be alive. And he would get us a custard. And I don't know why, but he'd always get mine on a cone. And I was just, I, I've never been a fast eater. I've actually always been a slow eater. People always make comments about it. And I just, I don't know. I like to savor. I like to kind of socialize while eating. I just have never been a person who just eats fast. 
So this boded a problem for this custard because it would just melt by the time I was done with it all over my hand. And I'd be like freaking out, having an anxiety attack because I never have like sticky stuff. It's probably where this phobia originated. And I would, I would just remember like being crying, sobbing, my dad being like, eat it faster. It's getting all over the car. And my sister already being done with her cone, asking why I can't eat it faster. It was always just a huge post Kumon ordeal with this custard before my dad realized that he should give it to me in a dish. And even when he would get me the custard in a dish, it would still be soup by the time we went home, but at least it was a little more contained. But that is the memory that was triggered when I read that Rachel Lee's mother owned Kumon's. I'm not sure what memory it gives Rachel Lee, but she had a direct connection to Kumon. Rachel, uh, she was actually expelled by Calabasas High School, and she was rerouted, I believe either her senior or junior year, to rerouted or transferred to Indian Hills High School, and that's an alternative high school right outside of Los Angeles. And it was at Indian Hills High School where Rachel met Nick Prugo. So Nick, ironically, he also was a student at Calabasas High School, but he was expelled for excessive absences, which it's like, Nick, just go to school. It's really not that difficult. It's high school. You just show up. It's just a silly reason to get expelled. I don't know. So Nick and Rachel, they actually got along super swimmingly. Like They bonded super quickly. They were both... I mean, they were both, I'll dare I say, troubled. They were mean girls. They liked to make fun of people. They were really into fashion. They were really into celebrities. And they both kind of had a desire to live a quote, like fast lifestyle in the words of my dad. Like they would always want to go to bars. They definitely like to do drugs. They liked to drink a lot. And, you know, this was also a time, I mean, this was 2008. So this was a time when, our celebrities, especially our young Hollywood, was incredibly reckless. A lot of, I mean, Paris Hilton was getting arrested, Lindsay Lohan was getting arrested, Nicole Richie. It was just kind of a time where our big celebrities were definitely having run-ins with the law. So I would imagine if you were a kid that had a little bit of money in Los Angeles and got to see a little bit of that lifestyle firsthand, there would be a desire to maybe get in on it. I was a goody two-shoes at that age, so I definitely was not participating in any of that in Northern Illinois. But I would imagine you know, these kids in LA, it's a much different upbringing. So that is the lifestyle they wanted to lead. They wanted to kind of experience what they were seeing young Hollywood experience. So as we said, I've always been really, really interested in the bling ring. And, and this story actually inspired several different movies, books, uh, the original kind of medium story told about the bling ring was in an article called the suspect wore Louboutins. And it was in Vanity Fair written by Nancy Jo Sales. Nancy Jo Sales went to go on to write a book called The Bling Ring, which Sofia Coppola used uh, to, to inspire her movie in 2013 by the same name, The Bling Ring. And these are all really interesting, I guess, stories and portrayals of The Bling Ring, but you'll see that it actually, they weren't very accurate portrayals. And that's where I come in to tell you the full story. So this is where I want to point out the first inaccuracy in the film. 
And the first inaccuracy is the portrayal of Nick Prugo. So I believe in the movie, the character's name is Mark, but the character who is supposed to be Nick is definitely portrayed as very timid, very shy, just trying to fit in, kind of going with the flow. Really sweet, actually a really, really likable character. Seem kind of just... It's interesting. It just seems like he was just placed in this group and wanted to impress Rachel and just kind of go along with what she was saying. And maybe Nick Prugo in real life was also like that, but he was not this timid, sweet, shy boy that the film is portraying. Nick was described as sassy. He was described as conniving, rude, refused to take no for an answer. He was honestly kind of a bully. He would just say whatever was on his mind and was kind of manipulative. So obviously that's why him and Rachel got along very well. They were really kind of birds of a feather, two of a kind. And that was where the movie kind of got it wrong first about how they portrayed Nick. So, like I said, Nick and Rachel, they really, really enjoyed expensive things. They liked clothing. They really liked what celebrities were wearing. They wanted to go out to these really expensive bars. But since they were kids, obviously, they didn't have the money to buy these items on their own. So what was the next best thing? Work for it? No way. We're going to steal it. So... Rachel actually had a history of stealing. She, a few months prior, actually got arrested with her friend Diana, who we will revisit. She'll come back in this story. Her and Diana actually got arrested for shoplifting around $85 worth of merchandise from Sephora. So in 2008, I mean, you could probably get a decent amount for 85 bucks at Sephora. Now it would be like two lip glosses. But I mean, they probably got a decent loot. But Rachel, obviously, she this wasn't her first rodeo when it came to stealing. But Nick and Rachel's first kind of gateway into stealing together was when they'd go to different parking lots and they would just check car doors and see like if people have cash in their car or if they left a credit card or just see like who left their car unlocked and what they could steal from that car. And Nick said like they would they would just go and spend these credit cards like it was nothing. They never got caught and they honestly I don't know if they were afraid of that they were going to get caught because you'll see like these kids are honestly pretty brazen and definitely felt untouchable. So this was probably their first crime that they were getting away with and they okay, so what's next? So after getting away with all of that, they kind of wanted to cr- climb, you know, the corporate ladder of stealing. So what was the next step? And they wanted to break into homes. Now, this is where a kid named Eden Shizzle comes in. He also went by Eden Hilton at the time. He has a YouTube channel, and on his YouTube, he told the story of how his family was either the earliest hit of the bling ring or one of the earliest hits of the bling ring. And he, I believe him because he, he backs this up with a ton of receipts. It's a really interesting story time if you Google... Ed and Shizzle or search Ed and Shizzle on YouTube. Super interesting to uh, to hear his story. And he was actually, I mean, he describes himself as close friends with Nick Prugo, but he was also very close frenemies. They always argued. Nick kind of had a weird obsession with him. Eden says if he wasn't available to hang out, Nick would send him all these weird messages and just get really creepy. 
And Nick really, really liked the connection to Eden because Eden had a couple connections to celebrities. Eden knew Jeremy Sumter from the live action Peter Pan. And I was obsessed with Jeremy Sumter when I was a kid. He was actually in this Lifetime movie where he was like a swimmer and he was like a porn addict or like a sex addict. And I don't know. I was like into it. He was so hot, but... But enough about me. Um, <laughs> anyway, he knew Jeremy Sumter, and he also kind of knew the Sprouse twins. So Nick was intrigued, and he really wanted to kind of get in that group. And for a while, he was. Eden said that they hung out. He had a lot of pictures of them together, some videos. And Nick realized that, I mean, Eden lived a life that Nick wanted to be more of a part of. And Eden had posted on his MySpace page, on, and you see a little bit of this actually in the bling ring, it portrayed by the character. It's an unseen character, but they call him Evan. And it's very early on in the movie where they break into this a home, and that was supposed to be Evan's home. So they Eden posts on MySpace that him and his family are going to go to Jamaica for 11 days. And if you he posted a bulletin. And if you're too young, again, congratulations. If you didn't know what, if you never really experienced MySpace, bulletins were very similar to kind of the newsfeed on Facebook. Like we would just post like random things and put these in bulletins. I would always do these like weird questionnaires and like fill out all of the questions and then try to be really funny in them. I don't know. It was just a form of creative expression for me. And I don't know. It was just like, a much more pure time. I honestly miss it. But that was what we used to do. We would post these bulletins so that everyone you were friends with could see. And since Eden was going on vacation, he was saying like, hey, we're going to be in Jamaica for the next week and a half. And therefore, basically what he's saying is my home is going to be empty. Now, of course, you might be thinking in 2022, why would anyone post that on social media? But this was in 2008, uncharted territory. We didn't know the dangers of social media. And especially a 16-year-old boy did not know that he shouldn't be posting (laughs) that his family is going to be out of town for 11 days on social media. But much different time, like I said. So Nick sees this and thinks, obviously, it's the perfect time to strike because they're going to be out of town. And when Eden comes home, He rushes to his computer, going to post another MySpace bulletin about how great the trip was. Eden was low-key the original travel influencer. I mean, okay, we need to get an update on this trip. So he was kind of telling everybody in a bulletin, oh my gosh, great trip, I'm home. But as he's posting this, he hears screaming from his parents' bedroom. He's like, what the hell is going on? Rushes out, runs down the hall flings open the door, sees his parents are in his room or in their bedroom and they have a lockbox that they usually keep under their bed and it's totally empty. They're like, where's the money? Where could it have gone? Who broke in? Freaking out. Eden said that it was around like thirty to $40,000 worth of cash in the lockbox that someone, Nick and Rachel, had come in and taken. Now, when I was watching Eden's story time, I was like scrolling through the comments of the video and a lot of people were like, well, that's your own fault. Why would you leave thirty dollars to $40,000 in a lockbox under a bed? Well, okay. So this was 2008. This was during the recession. Extremely, extremely scary time. Everyone was pretty much thinking it was going to be another Great Depression. Very just high anxiety time. Very scary. 
I, it, it was just a bad time. And people were really, really afraid that it was going to be another depression so that they wouldn't be able to get their money out of the banks. If the banks went defunct, they would just not be able to withdraw. I know my parents also were afraid and also had a decent amount of cash in a safe in the house. Don't get excited. They don't do that anymore, but it really was scary. So cut them some slack. This was recession time and people didn't know what was going to happen with the banks and just wanted to know where their cash was. And also we don't victim blame here on the diving board podcast. If I wanted to keep a hundred thousand dollars in cash, again, don't get any ideas. I don't do that. But if I wanted to keep that amount of money under my bed, I am allowed to do that. Uh, people shouldn't be breaking into people's houses and stealing their cash. So that's just redirect where you're thinking about who should be doing what. Anyway, um, Nick and Rachel, after they were really successful with that situation, they didn't stop there. Eden actually posted another bulletin. I don't know. Girl just really wanted people to know where he was. And he posted another bulletin that he was going to be sleeping at a cousin's house. And Nick and Rachel saw that, thought, okay, perfect. What else can we do? But the thing was, his dad and a guest were both still in Eden's home. But Eden came home the next day and saw that his MacBook was gone. He's like, how did somebody break into the house when someone was actually here? And that just shows, I mean, the bling ring, Nick, and, uh, Nick Prugo and... Uh, Rachel, definitely, I mean, nothing was deterring them. They were doing what they wanted. And also in the film, they show that they went joyriding and they really did do that. They took Eden's Audi and just took it for a joyride and returned the car with an empty tank of gas. Like they didn't even try to cover up these crimes. They truly did not care. It was, let's have a good time. Let's have fun. We really don't care what's going on because they did not think they were going to get caught. So after the success of the Ed and Shizzle robbery, Nick and Rachel, again, were looking for the next big hit and they were, you know, they were ready to up the ante and they actually were scrolling through Twitter and saw a tweet that Paris Hilton was going to be hosting a party at a club in Las Vegas. And remember when that was like the biggest thing, like Kim Kardashian would host at Tao or Paris Hilton would host at clubs. I just remember that was always a really big thing when celebrities would just host at uh, these big clubs. And this was in December of 2008. So they think, okay, maybe Paris's house is going to be empty. She's not going to be home. Where does she live? They went on a website called celebrityaddressarial.com and they were able to kind of see a aerial view of Paris Hilton of Paris Hilton's house and kind of scope the scene, see how they could get into the home. And Nick said, you know, honestly, we just thought Paris would be dumb and leave her house unlocked or leave it empty. And it was going to be difficult to get in there at all. And unfortunately, they were correct. And they went and rang Paris's doorbell. No answer. They realized the house was empty. They checked under the mat there was the key to the house and they didn't even need to use the key because Paris did leave her front door unlocked. So it's crazy to view this just as somebody obviously in like 2022, I would never even leave the door to my studio apartment unlocked, let alone my $9 million mansion in Beverly Hills. It's just crazy. But again, I mean, 
it was just a different time, I guess. We were much more trusting. Uh, so they, they walked in. And once they got in, they just began going through Paris's closet. They went through her personal belongings. Rachel wound up taking a couple of Paris Hilton's like designer bras, which wouldn't have been the first thing I would have snagged, but I mean, I guess to each his own. And Nick had stole a bottle of Grey Goose from her bar. And they each left with about $1,800 each and like crumpled up 50s and hundreds that they found in Paris Hilton's bags or just around her closet. I mean, what is that? $3,600? I mean, math, come on. Um, she, they, they found about $3,600 and Paris Hilton is not going to notice if $3,600 is missing. She's just not. It's um, pocket change. So they actually made sure to only take a little bit during this first robbery because they wanted to make it look less obvious. I mean, if you look at these pictures of Paris Hilton's home, she had so much stuff, like a ridiculous amount of stuff. So she's not going to notice if a couple bras, you know, $3,600 is missing, a bottle of Grey Goose. Paris Hilton is never going to know. So they leave unscathed. They did it. They wa- They literally walked right in, went through Paris Hilton's closet, and walked out. Honestly, and like I said, I would never break into anyone's home because I'm not that type of person, and I would feel incredibly guilty even if I you know, lost my mind and did it for a night. The next morning I would like be like knocking on Paris Hilton's door, like, hi, here are your bras back and your money. Like I would just feel so guilty. But I do, I won't lie, kind of envy this experience of just like walking into Paris Hilton's house and just going through and looking at her closet. Like the rush probably was incredible. I I won't even deny that. I'm sure it was just an insane, insane experience. But because it was so easy and they were successful, they thought, okay, why not go back? And they actually hit Paris's house four times before Paris caught on. And in fact, they were they were there so much that Rachel actually just began putting Paris's house key on her personal keychain. So imagine having your house keys of like the, the key to your building, the key to your apartment, the key to your mailbox. And then there's also the key to Paris Hilton's house. Like this is how much they did not care, but this is also how much Paris didn't care because when she realized the key from under the mat was missing, they literally just replaced it with another key. She didn't think anything of it. And also, I mean, you would think if you were getting away with these things, you would lay low, but no, Rachel and Nick were telling everybody that they were breaking into Paris's house and what they were doing. I mean, the kids were living the life. Nick definitely described it as just like one of the best times of their lives. They actually found at one point five grams of cocaine in Paris's closet. And Nick said they enjoyed that cocaine, hopped in Rachel Lee's car and just drove around the Hollywood Hills having like the most amazing time. And they really just like felt totally invincible, untouchable, and you know, wanted to keep chasing this high and actually chasing several highs. So honestly, that leads me into let's talk about the motives of these crimes before we get into just really everything that the bling ring did. The motives for these crimes, I mean, we could break this down into like several different facets. Number one, they were just obsessed with celebrities. And that's kind of like how we were back then. I just remember everyone was obsessed with tabloids. VH1 was always showing like young Hollywood or just 
it, MTV was always showing compilations about Young Hollywood. And that was a thing because it was before social media. So these celebrities definitely weren't as exposed as they are now. So they were definitely more of an enigma to us. The only time we ever got to see how celebrities acted in real life was like through tabloids or TMZ, paparazzi. And that was the only time we could kind of see what our favorite celebrities did. Now with social media, we have more of a glimpse into who they are. So they're a little less interesting because I think it's human nature to be a little more obsessed with things that you have a limited amount of information about. So we were definitely a celebrity obsessed culture back then. Two, another motive was breaking in to get these celebrities fashion, get their clothes, get their jewelry, get their accessories. Uh, Rachel Lee loved designers. So did Nick Prugo. When he found out he could fit into Paris's heels, he would just take a bunch of her shoes. And this was another thing back then. This was the day, the age before the influencer. And we were definitely more obsessed with celebrity style. I think now people care more about like what their favorite influencer is wearing. But I mean, maybe we care about like Kim Kardashian or maybe Rihanna, what they're wearing, but definitely not to the level back then. I mean, if you even look at Rachel Zoe, she became a celebrity herself because she was dressing celebrities. We really liked to see what celebrities were wearing. They were the influencer before the influencer. Uh, number three, like we said, the thrill. The thrill had to be incredible. Again, I I think normal people would have been plagued by the guilt of all of this or just being terrified of getting caught, but not the bling ring. They chased this high. They chased the adrenaline. They couldn't believe they were in people's homes and just kind of wanted to keep chasing the next big hit. And like I said, I can't imagine the adrenaline rush at the time would be incredible. Just like the the thought of getting caught and then getting these, stealing all of these expensive things. I, I can't imagine. And then also just getting money to portray this lifestyle, get money to go to bottle service at different clubs and to wear fancy things and also to fund extracurricular activities. If you know what I'm saying, uh, they needed drug money. They, a lot of them had bad drug problems and that is a very expensive habit to maintain and they needed the money to keep getting that kind of stuff. So that is kind of breaking down the motives. Maybe there was other things, but that's kind of when I break it down, I could figure out why they did this. So, and they were young and very stupid. That is another thing. So um, it wasn't until Nick and Rachel actually started inviting more friends into this kind of crime spree that the bling ring itself was born. And when they started kind of expanding their circle of the bling ring, uh, that is when Paris Hilton began to notice that she was getting robbed. So they brought in Diana Tomeo from the previous Sephora shoplifting incident, Courtney Ames, who worked at Ledoux, and they kind of just knew her from around, and a guy named Roy Lopez. Now, it was Roy who got a little overzealous the last time that they robbed Paris, and he actually took this like camo Louis Vuitton duffel that belonged to Paris. It was actually super cute. And side note, and they took it and he stuffed it with two, around $2 million worth of her jewelry. So this is when Paris realized like, oh my God, people have been robbing my house because like you said, 
you could take a little things here and there and Paris isn't going to notice, but when you start sealing $2 million of her jewelry, this is when she's going to take notice. So she files the police report. People start talking about it. Nick starts freaking out, but Rachel's like, who cares? Nothing's ever going to happen. And nothing did. I I mean, that's why the blaring kept doing what they were doing, because even though people were calling the police, it was going unsolved. Nothing was happening. So that also kind of just fueled their fire that they were untouchable. They were entitled. They were invincible. So, okay, cool. What's the next hit? So the next hit was in February of 2009. It was actually on the night of the Academy Awards, February 22nd. And they saw that Adriana Patridge from The Hills was actually going to be attending a uh, Academy Awards Oscar party. And they thought, okay, perfect time to strike. And there's definitely reason to believe that the bling ring had actually been casing out Adriana Patridge and kind of stalking her moves because... When they, when the authorities seized Nick Prugo's laptop, they had seen that he had searched uh, Audrina Patridge diamond watch. So they had noticed she had some pretty expensive accessories and wanted them. And the gang was able to break into Audrina's pretty easily, and they stole around $43,000 of belongings from her. Unfortunately, some of them heirlooms, which is where things get really, really upsetting because these are things that are just not replaceable. They also sold jeans that were like custom fit to Audrina's body. And unlike Paris, Audrina had noticed right away that she was robbed. She immediately sent the surveillance footage out to the authorities and the footage was broadcasted pretty much everywhere. I remember it being on Perez Hilton and it was on like all the popular gossip blogs and posting something on Perez Hilton that was reaching a very, very wide audience. I actually did some research and in 2008, Perez Hilton had 4 million unique visitors a day. That is absolutely insane. Uh, comparison, one of the major, major news channels, CNN, they get 1 million uh, unique viewers a day. So having 4 million people viewing your website on a daily basis, that is a massive amount of exposure. But the bling ring did not care. They even though that this was being exposed to everyone and the you know footage was out there, that didn't stop them. And it's interesting because Audrina said herself when she realized that she was robbed and went to go check the footage, she was expecting to see like really big, scary men on the footage, but she just saw teenagers. And Nick Prugo actually spoke about this to Nancy Joe Sales in uh, The Suspect Wore Louboutins, and he said... Uh, what did he say? We wouldn't be in gloves. We wouldn't be masked. We wouldn't be conspicuous. We'd just be natural looking. So if anything ever happened, we'd just be like, what? We're normal kids. It wasn't that we were criminals. And it's like, um, hate to break it to you, but yeah, Nick, you're criminals. But they had that thought of like, we're teenagers. If anyone ever sees us, we're going to be so unsuspecting. I actually have a pretty vivid memory of reading Perez Hilton and seeing the footage from Audrina Patridge surveillance tape and thinking like, oh, wow, that's really scary. But I, I didn't remember the footage because I had watched it so many years ago when it was happening. So, I mean, over 10 years ago. And I went, when I was researching for this podcast, I went and rewatched it. And it really is disturbing, especially as an adult and when you have a place of your own, obviously there it's, it's always going to be a fear in the back of your mind of someone breaking in. So kind of seeing these two kids 
in her patio and in her backyard, kind of looking for an open door, looking for a window and trying to find their way in. And then you see them leave with just huge bags of stuff. And it's, it is, it's scary to watch. It really did scare me and, or maybe feel uneasy at least. And I just want to make the point and I'll never pass up uh, an opportunity to call Nick Prugo out, but he kind of definitely gave a narrative to the press that he was just kind of along for the ride or he wanted to keep his friends. He kind of was facing peer pressure. So that's why he was there. And that is not the case. Even if you watch this footage, you can see he is very excited. He is right along for the ride. He is jumping for joy. He's literally jumping for joy in one of these clips. So he's excited. He wants to be there. It's not just to appease Rachel Lee. It's like, Nick, get a grip. We can see right through it. So, but the footage being seen on such a large scale didn't deter the bling ring at all. Rachel assured them they were going to be fine and they just needed to find their next big hit. So this came, the next hit came in the spring of 2009, and this victim was the OC star Rachel Bilson, which is such a bummer because she always just struck me as so nice. I mean, no one deserves to get robbed, but they were, she always seemed so sweet. So it's unfortunate that the bling ring had hit her so many times. And Rachel Lee actually really admired Rachel Bilson's style. And I totally get that. I remember Rachel Bilson had like the coolest style back then. She had kind of like that boho vibe that we really liked in like 2008, 2009. So Rachel Lee really, really liked her clothes and wanted some of them. They actually hit Rachel Bilson's house around five times. And all in all, through these five times, they stole about $300,000 worth of her belongings. And this is a prime example of how untouchable and invincible the bling ring thought about themselves. One of the times that they went to Rachel Bilson's house, Rachel Lee had to go to the bathroom and actually used Rachel Bilson's toilet and like did a number two in it. Like, girl, you couldn't have gone before you left the house. Nobody, I mean, and Rachel Bilson said that was definitely the most violating thing when she read about it beyond them stealing all of her stuff. She was like, they actually used my literal toilet. So this was just a classic example that Rachel Lee did not care. She felt super comfortable. She felt like she lived there. She felt like she was an old friend at that point. And again, they felt invincible. Didn't even think about DNA, nothing. I mean, girl, it's just so crazy how messy they were from the jump and honestly filthy. So with all of these stolen items, the, the crew, they needed a fence. And a fence is someone who will take and sell stolen items for money. Now, the crew's fence was someone named Johnny Ajar, and he was also known as Johnny Dangerous, which, like, so cringe. I can't. It's like, oh, my gosh. But it was the 2000s, so I'm going to cut Johnny Dangerous slack on the name. But what I will not cut him slack on was the fact that he was dating Courtney Ames, from the original Paris uh, robbery. She was 17 at the time and he was 28. Like imagine being 28 and like hanging out with a bunch of literal teenagers. And he was the promoter of Hollywood clubs. And that was how these kids were able to get into a lot of really popular 
LA bars at the time. Like I will low key give them credit. They were getting into like Ledoux. They were getting into Lola's. They were getting into the green door. They were getting into the dime, like some places that are like actually pretty difficult to get into back then because celebrities were hanging out all the time at them. And the bling ring was able to just get in. And that was a lot into, to, um, Johnny dangerous. Cause he was a promoter. So he was just letting them into the club. It's like, imagine just like hanging out when you're almost 30, hanging out with a bunch of high school kids who are like getting bottle service, getting wasted, like throwing up, yelling, just acting a fool in the club. And you're just like there hanging out with them. It's like Johnny dangerous. He's just a danger to himself. Like (laughs) I can't. So, but it's funny. It's worth noting. Nick Prugo actually said when they went out to clubs, people like loved them because they had the money to get all this bottle service. They had really cool clothes. They just carried themselves like they didn't have a care in the world. And he said like people actually gravitated towards them and they actually liked them when they saw them out at clubs. But I mean, in LA, if you have money, people are already going to just climb onto you. It's just the nature of the beast. But Nick Prigo said they actually had like a really good time going out and were pretty popular. So, I mean, I guess more power to you. Um, But at the time, they wanted to plan their next big move. And they saw that this was the summer of 2009. So they saw that Orlando Bloom was actually out of town filming a movie. So his house was going to be empty. That's the thing. These celebrities just leaving their homes empty. Like, don't you have anybody watching it? I mean, I grew up in suburban Chicago, Northern Illinois. And when we'd go on vacation, we would tell the neighbor like, Hey, can you watch our house? And none of these people did this. It's, it's crazy to me. So Orlando was living with Miranda Kerr at the time. And Rachel Lee wanted some quote, Victoria's secret model clothes, which I don't really know what that entails, but Rachel Lee wanted them. So the crew actually reportedly cut a hole in a chain link fence behind Orlando Bloom's yard. And that's how they accessed his backyard and just found a back door that was unlocked. And actually the Orlando Bloom break-in was the only break-in where Nancy Joe, this is Alexis Nyers calling, was present at. This was uh, the first break-in that we saw Alexis Nyers. So was Alexis Nyers at the other break-ins? Was she at the Rachel Bilson break-in or the Paris Hilton break-in? I don't know. Potentially, probably. I, I really don't know. But the Orlando Bloom break-in was the only break-in that featured Alexis Nyers on camera, on surveillance footage. And in this country, we are innocent until we are proven guilty. So for the sake of the story, I'm going to say that this was the only break-in that Alexis Nyers was present at. So Alexa said that she really doesn't really have any recollection of this break-in because she was really, really drunk at the time and also had a very, very bad drug problem, specifically a heroin problem. And she said that during the break-in, she actually got really sick because she was so intoxicated that she like ran out to Orlando Bloom's backyard and just vomited everywhere. But Nick Prugo actually remembers the story a little bit differently. He remembers Alexis Nyers taking a Louis Vuitton laptop bag and using it as a purse and also taking a like custom runway dress from Alex Perry that was designed for Miranda Kerr. Uh, Alexis snagged that as well. So definitely conflicting stories. I was not there, though I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall. Could you imagine? So 
You know, we we don't know for sure, but Alexis did snag a couple of things. Now, all in all, they stole about $500,000 worth of belongings from Orlando Bloom. During this, they were actually just beginning to steal anything and everything because Rachel Lee was going to move to Las Vegas to live with her dad. So she said she needed more artwork to decorate her room with. She literally stole the art off of Orlando Bloom's walls. I mean, girl was just, she was taking everything. Uh, Rachel Lee and the crew also stole around, um, or they also stole 10 antique Rolexes, uh, which they got around $5,000 for from Johnny Dangerous. Now, Johnny Dangerous clearly uh, was about as good of a fence as the chain link fence in Orlando Bloom's backyard because, Johnny, these are 10 antique Rolexes. Now, I don't know what Rolexes were in the collection, but let's just say that they were worth about $15,000 each. You know, some Rolexes are worth like $10,000, some are worth thirty. dollars so we'll just meet in the middle and do $15,000. So the crew should have gotten about at least $100,000 for these antique Rolexes, and Johnny D was able to get $5,000 for them. So... I mean, come on. It's like, again, these were kids. They did not know what they were doing. Like I said, this was the messiest crime. And God, whoever got those Rolexes for that price, they they got a steal. The steal of the century. I mean, in more ways than one. But at this time, the crew is just, they are feeling themselves. They are, we are invincible. We are God. We can steal from whoever we want. So their next hit was weirdly, this might sound weird, but Brian Austin Green. But because they wanted to go to Brian Austin Green's house was because he was living with the ultimate hot girl, Megan Fox at the time. So the crew breaks in, they take clothing, they take jewelry, they take Brian Austin Green's 380 semi-automatic handgun, which was found in Johnny Dangerous's house at the time of his arrest. So a little bit of danger. And as a prime example of how out of touch the super rich can be, Brian Austin Green and Megan Fox, they actually had no idea they were even robbed until the cops contacted them about the robbery. So they were they were none the wiser. I mean, ignorance is complete bliss. They had no clue. And that's because, I mean, I guess if you're really rich, you just buy a lot of stuff and you forget that you even bought it. So if someone takes it, you're not going to notice it's missing. And even as a regular person, I feel like if somebody took... A couple things of mine, I don't even know if I would notice. Like, have you ever thought about a belonging you had or something you used to wear a few years ago? And you're like, where did that go? And maybe it's like buried in your closet. But my thought, my first thought isn't like someone came in and stole it. My first thought would be like, oh, I lost it. But that's how they were able to get away with this. Um, in August of 2009, Rachel Lee had actually moved to Las Vegas to live with her dad. And she was busy decorating the room with Orlando Bloom's artwork. And she actually wanted to come back to Los Angeles because her and Nick were planning just the ultimate hit, the ultimate conquest. This celebrity was the pinnacle in Rachel's eye. This was her style icon, and this was none other than Lindsay Lohan. And I totally get it. Lindsay Lohan had like the coolest style back then. And the only reason I watched that documentary on the Oprah channel own that Lindsay show was literally just to see what Lindsay was wearing because she just had the coolest clothes. So I, 
I mean, I'm not rationalizing the burglary, but I totally get why Rachel Lee wanted Lindsay's clothes. I did as well. But Rachel recruited Nick and Diana to complete this hit, and they broke in to Lindsay Lohan's L.A. home. I think she was in Los Angeles at the time, and they stole jewelry, clothing, personal items that all totaled up around $130,000. And Lindsay knew right away she had been broken into, and she actually called her dad, Michael Lohan, to go check out the scene, and when Michael Lohan walked in, he saw... Lindsay's house was just ransacked. So Lindsay released the footage right away of the break-in. She released it to TMZ. And because the bling ring had, you know, been on the LA scene so much and they were blabbing to everyone about what they were doing, tips began flooding in immediately after seeing the Lindsay Lohan footage. So many snitches came out of the woodwork and it didn't take long for the police to complete an investigation on the bling ring. And on September 17th, 2009, Nick Prugo was arrested. And at first, you know, Nicky P, he was, he stayed strong. He didn't let him see him sweat. He was like, am I the drama? I don't think I'm the drama. I mean, Nick Prugo, he was, he was riding and it wasn't until the cops started utilizing that search warrant that they were began finding some stolen items in Nick's home. And I will say, even though they were very messy, they just didn't leave all of these items just strewn about their house. He was hiding a lot of them in uh, his grandma's basement. So once they went to the basement and started finding all of this stuff, that is when Nick broke down and he started singing like a canary. He confessed to the Lindsay robbery, Paris, Audrina. He confessed to things that cops didn't even know about yet. And during the confession, Nick spills that the group had plans to rob Miley Cyrus, Zac Efron, Vanessa Hudgens, Hillary Duff, Spencer Pratt, LOL, and even came this close to robbing Ashley Tisdale, but they chickened out and ran at the last minute because when they went to the door, they realized that Ashley Tisdale's friend was staying at the house, which smart for Ashley. I mean, she actually had someone stay watching her house, but could you imagine if you were that friend? So scary. So they actually had plans to rob they said around 50 other celebrities. I mean, they were terrorizing Hollywood. And at this time, other celebrities were also getting robbed. I know Kourtney Kardashian was also getting robbed. I don't know if that was the bling ring or just kind of a copycat, but it was a very scary time in Hollywood. I was watching an interview with Gavin Rossdale at the premiere of the bling ring because he was in that film. He actually, I think, was supposed to play Johnny Dangerous, which was a very flattering portrayal. But um, he uh, said that he he was married to Gwen Stefani at the time. And he said, like, we were really nervous because we travel all the time. And this was happening all over Hollywood. And some really, really, really big names were getting broken into. So no one was safe from these literal kids. So Nick figured, you know what? If I am going down, I'm, I'm everyone's going down with me. But keep in mind, and Nick Prugo, he hadn't even arranged a plea deal with these detectives yet. He just did this to do it. It's like, dude, like, uh, f- come on, figure out a plea deal before you just start spilling all the tea about this situation. But not Nick Prugo. I mean, not the brightest bulb, but again, he was a child, so... 
we're going to cut him a little bit of slack, but not that much. So again, because everyone was going down or because Nick was going down, everyone was going down. So he first rats out Roy and Johnny Dangerous for being their fences. Roy Lopez, he pleads no contest to stealing over $2 million of Paris Hilton's jewelry. And he was given three years probation. And he actually served about 100 days in jail that he was credited for. So he didn't really serve that much jail time. Uh, Roy actually tried to sell a lot of Paris's jewelry, but he was thankfully unsuccessful. And Paris was able to get a lot of her jewelry back, which is really, really great because I'm sure that was a really, really stressful situation. But like, could you just picture Roy on Santa Monica Boulevard trying to hawk Paris Hilton's jewelry? He's just like so stupid. <laughs> I just can't. You're just so sloppy from the very beginning. And that's another thing. It's like, I really think because they were so sloppy and it was just kind of like dumb luck that that is why they got away with this for so long because they didn't overanalyze the situation. They weren't like criminal masterminds and, you know, reading too far into this. They just literally walked into the place, stole what they wanted and left. And I really think if they would have kept to themselves and not, I mean, they were always greedy, but they started getting extremely greedy. I think they probably, this probably could have gone unsolved. Honestly, and that's the crazy thing to think about because technology wasn't what it was. And if they just kept a much lower profile, I really think this would have, they would have been successful. And that's the crazy thing to think about because they really sealed their own fate because they were talking so much. So the fish only gets caught when he opens his mouth. So Johnny Dangerous, our guy Johnny D, was arrested and charged with the possession of a firearm, which was Brian Austin Green's, possession of ammunition, which was Brian Austin Green's, and he pleaded not guilty to those charges. But he was later charged and convicted with selling cocaine, possession of the firearm, and receiving stolen property. He served one year of a three-year sentence, and he was released in 2011. Um, I don't really have much information on where Johnny Dangerous is now. I googled him and I think I found his Instagram account and it is it looks about what you think it would but it looks like he's keeping a low profile and staying out of trouble so I hope that is the case you know godspeed Johnny Dangerous um when Johnny was arrested it's worth noting they actually found a Cartier Tiger watch a golden uh, lots of gold and silver jewelry and loose diamonds that collectively weighed about 42 carats it's like what it's about like a million dollars worth of diamonds just like in your LA apartment like it's just insane. It is absolutely insane when you really get into the nitty gritty of what the cops found in their house. It's just, it's just, it's nuts. So that brings us to Courtney Ames. Good old court. What's going on with her? So police found one of Paris Hilton's leather jackets in Courtney Ames' home, and she was charged with two counts of stolen property and was ordered to serve two years of community service. Now, Courtney actually, when she was, uh, in a court appearance for the Paris Hilton robberies, she was actually wearing one of Lindsay Lohan's stolen necklaces. And that actually earned her additional counts of residential burglary. This is what I'm saying. These kids stole so much, they couldn't even keep track of what they were stealing. I mean, I doubt that Courtney knew or realized that that was Lindsay Lohan's necklace. And she just wore it because she thought it was cute. It's like they couldn't even keep track of what was actually theirs and what was the stolen property. Now, Courtney 
lives very low profile now. She definitely under the radar. I think she said she's in a committed relationship and she legally changed her name to Courtney Shields. I don't think that had to do anything with the bling ring. I think it was like more of a family thing. She didn't get along with her dad, but definitely kind of like Johnny Dangerous and Roy Lopez, definitely more of a private life, low profile that brings us to Diana Tomeo from the original. She was, you know, one of the original riders with the bling ring from the very beginning. And she actually cooperated well with the authorities and just confessed to all of the crimes. She actually got a really good plea deal considering because, like I said, she was definitely very, very involved with Nick and Rachel in these crimes. The only reason they were even able to get into Megan Fox and Brian Austin Green's home, Brian Austin Green's home was because Diana was so small in stature, she was able to get in through the doggy door and just like unlock the door and let them in. Like she was uh, a very good member of the bling ring when they were getting into different homes. So she actually got a really good plea deal considering she only got three years of probation and 60 days of road work. Uh, Diana, it was really important that she cooperated with attorneys because she was an undocumented immigrant. So she actually faced deportation if she didn't cooperate with authorities. So she really, really got off rather easily. Now that brings us to Alexis Nyers. Um, when police searched Alexis Nyers' home, they found designer goods belonging to Rachel Bilson and Lindsay Lohan. Now, does that mean she was at these robberies? Not really, because I think they just shared belongings. I'm sure they would get a loot and then all get together and just go through it and take what they wanted. Um, so that doesn't automatically incriminate her of being at those at those homes and those robberies. Um, Alexis actually pleaded not guilty, but that uh, to residential burglary of Orlando Bloom's home, but she actually changed her plea to no contest when she learned Orlando Bloom would testify against her in court, which is crazy. And I, I don't really get the, the, uh, motive behind that. I mean, maybe she just didn't want to like face Orlando Bloom um, face to face and have him testify against her. Maybe that would just ruin in her mind her chances with Orlando Bloom. I don't know, but she changed it to no contest and she was ordered to pay $600,000 in restitution to Orlando Bloom. And she was convicted of one kind of residential burglary and served one month of a six month sentence. So I want to take a moment, I want to take a quick moment and bless you all with the iconic quote outside the courthouse that Alexis Nyers gave uh, after her hearing. So please oblige me. <clears throat> I'm a firm believer in karma, and I think that this situation was attracted in my life because it was supposed to be a huge learning lesson for me to grow and expand as a human being. I think that my journey on this planet is to be a leader. I see myself being like Angelina Jolie, but even stronger, pushing even harder for the universe and for peace and for the health of our planet. I want to be a leader. I want to lead a huge charity organization. I want to lead a country for all I know. I don't know where I'm going just yet, but eventually I can see myself taking a stand for the people. So she has spoken the future leader of the free world, Alexis Nyers, has graced us with that quote. I mean, she really, 
she really was just born for reality television. I mean, it is so sad that the Pretty Wild did not last longer because honestly, <laughs> that was just gold. But I mean, for Alexis Nyer's sake, I am happy that it didn't last very long because she said, I mean, she was actually arrested on the second day of filming. And she said that after she was arrested, that she wished that her parents would have been like, okay, let's end the show. We don't need to keep doing this. So I'm happy for her that the show didn't last very long, but for the content, oh my gosh. (laughs) So funny. It is true that uh, her and Lindsay Lohan's jail time overlapped in Linwood County Jail. Uh, I think it was like five days that they shared a cell next to each other, which is like wild. And that just shows back then that these like really high profile celebrities were serving jail time. Um, it was always at Linwood County Jail, or a lot of times it was at Linwood County Jail. That's where like Khloe Kardashian served, Daryl Hannah served, Paris Hilton, obviously Lindsay Lohan, Alexis Nyer. So it's like, it was like Le Du up in there. I mean, there was a lot of celebrity sightings, just clearly the place to be. And I'm just kidding. No one wants to be in jail, but it was, it, there was a lot of, lot of celebrities in there. So at this time, uh, you might be wondering, where is our queen bee? Where is Rachel? Well, she's in Las Vegas. And what's happening in Vegas isn't exactly staying in Vegas because Rachel is trying to save her ass. She sees what's going on. She sees that people are getting arrested and she has not been caught yet. So she decides to start some rumors about Nick Prugo and said that like he was selling Lindsay Lohan cocaine on the set of labor pains. And I remember when she was filming that, um, she, they, she, he was selling her cocaine. She was seen, he was seen on the set 10 times and just was making up all these crazy rumors to save her ass. But at this point, I mean, the jig was up. She had met her match. The police came to her home uh, in January 2010 in Las Vegas. And at first, I mean, Rachel Lee, cool as a cucumber. She definitely was still playing the chill girl card. Why are you at my home? I don't know anything. But when police kind of started looking around and... uh made it seem like maybe I'm not going to get out of this unscathed. Rachel kind of started asking questions. She's like, so hypothetically, if I hypothetically knew some information about these hypothetical robberies, could I hypothetically get a hypothetical plea deal? If I hypothetically shared that information with you and I could hypothetically avoid jail time, hypothetically. So, She's kind of planting those seeds, but then as police were searching her house, they found some pretty incriminating evidence. They found a fur coat of Lindsay Lohan's. They found private naked pictures of Paris Hilton on a Polaroid camera. They found like this big jar of weed. They found um, like $20,000 in $100 bills. Just some really crazy stuff. And that is when Rachel knew she... the the bling ring had uh, begun to tarnish because she just broke down. She started hyperventilating, almost throwing up, screaming, crying, and they arrested her uh, in January 2010. Now, Now, this was actually shown in the film, and it is true that when 
Rachel Lee was interviewed by detectives. She had asked them, well, have you spoken to any of the victims? And they said, yeah, we spoke to all of the victims. And she immediately went, well, what did Lindsay say? So, (laughs) I mean, very strange question to ask while you're being interviewed by detectives who are trying to convict you. But um, it just kind of shows Rachel Lee was really obsessed with celebrities and just kind of reiterates the point of, what her motive was behind all of this. She kind of wanted to get noticed by them. Um, she wanted to, she was obsessed with fame and the fact that Lindsay Lohan even knew who she was, was enough for her, I guess. So just kind of an interesting look into Rachel Lee's psyche. I did look up, however, what Rachel Lee has been up to since this entire ordeal. And it looks like she's actually doing a lot better. She graduated cosmetology school in 2018, which is awesome. And she's definitely flying under the radar, much lower profile, and seems like she's doing well for herself. So, you know, we wish her well. This was a really, really long time ago, and she served her time. She paid her debt to society. So, you know, I think she's doing a lot better. And she actually said, just like one little interesting story, said that she in LA saw Emma Watson and went up to Emma Watson and was like, hey, you were in a movie about my life and they had a really quick exchange. And I don't know if that's true, but just a funny little story. But, you know, I'm happy that Rachel Lee has kind of turned herself around. She actually said that jail was the best kind of thing for her at the time because she had a drug problem and it was kind of good to kind of straighten her out. So like I said, she paid her debt to society and she did her time. And I'm really glad that her life definitely took a different path after the bling ring, because that's really all you can hope for. You might be wondering what happened to our boy, Nikki P. Nick Prugo, he actually did eventually get himself a plea deal if he agreed to testify to three other members of the bling ring in court. He agreed to that. So he wound up getting a two-year sentence and serving about one year of that. So actually not that bad considering uh, he was, though he doesn't like to admit it, he was a main core member of the bling ring and at every single robbery. So... Nick Prugo, he actually, like I said, he always faced some trouble. His parents had actually bailed him out after he was originally charged. And it was a $200,000 bail, but you only have to pay 10% of bail. So it was about $20,000. And they had um, bailed him out, but they actually revoked the bail and sent him back to jail when they found out that he was using cocaine again. So they thought, you know what, jail is actually a better place for you to be because you won't be able to use or at least use as freely. So that was, so like I said, he served about one year of a two-year sentence. Unfortunately, post blingering, Nick Prugo still had his fair share of legal woes. In 2016, he was charged with harassment and stalking this like Hollywood skincare guru, a Hollywood esthetician. So really disturbing. Um, There's also some additional charges that Nick Prugo faced a few years ago, but like I said, they are extremely disturbing and I don't want to trigger anybody. So If you are so inclined, feel free to Google that. Um, It is just some really troubling stuff. And recently, or in the last couple years, I read that Nick Prugo is in a committed relationship, and he's definitely been flying much more under the radar. Nick, I hope you have 
learned boundaries and for the sake of Hollywood and everyone else have started just kind of leaving people alone and kind of just like I, I sound like a broken record, but just continuing to walk straight and narrow path and just kind of reconciled with yourself. So I wish you well. Um, and yeah, it's just, he's, he's in a committed relationship flying under the radar. And yeah, I'm just hoping that I don't really know what to say. I, (laughs) I hope that he's, he's doing better and maybe just, this was a bad time and you've grown up. So this comes, if you are wondering about this point about Alexis Nyers, I really want to talk about this because if you are familiar with the film or if you've read the article, The Suspect Bore Louboutins or the book, The Bling Ring, you'll see, or you might wonder why Alexis Nyers wasn't featured more in the story that I just told you. And it's because she really did not have a as big a part in the bling ring as these films and these articles and these books make it seem like she was. The reason why the media portrayed Alexis Nyers to be a lot more involved is because she had somewhat of a public profile when this was all going on. Her quote unquote sister, Tess Taylor, not her legal sister or her, um, you know, biological sister at all, but for the sake of the story, her sister, that's just what she called her, her and her sister, Tess, they were already filming for a show on the, on the E network called the pretty wild. And this show was kind of billed as like the hippie Kardashians. It was going to follow Alexis Nyers and Tess and her family and just kind of like Alexis and Tess's party girl ways. They were models. Um, they Tess Taylor, I know was, like a cyber girl on Playboy. And they, they had a much more of a public profile than these, the other kids in the bling ring did. So it was easy for the media to kind of attach to that little bit of fame that they had and blow it up and make it seem like, Whoa, this girl who people kind of know about was involved in this burglary ring when she, I mean, she was, but we now have learned Rachel Lee was definitely the ringleader of this. But if you only had just kind of knowledge of the bling ring from the media, you would think that Alexis Nyers was a lot more involved. I mean, they even got Emma Watson to play her, the biggest star in the film, to play Alexis Nyers. So that's kind of the confusion. Even in the Suspect War Louboutins, they talk about Alexis a lot, and they actually use her picture uh, for the front page of the article, and that's where we get the iconic scene in The Pretty Wild of Nancy Joe Sales and Alexis Nyers. Alexis Nyers reading the article for the first time, Herbie excited that she was in Vanity Fair, and as she's reading it, she sees that Nancy Joe definitely took um, artistic liberty of saying what she wore to court. She said that she wore six inch Louboutin heels when she actually wore four inch brown BB heels. And this is all featured on the pretty wild. And that is when we get the iconic Nancy Joe, this is Alexis Nyers calling. And if you have not seen that clip, please just go to YouTube and literally type in Nancy Joe. This is Alexis Nyers calling and your life is going to be changed. I mean, 2010 (laughs) was a crazy year. So like I said, they definitely took artistic liberty and I guess they could go a few different ways. Um, Alexis Nyers obviously was trying to build fame. So she was getting a lot of notoriety when the press was covering 
these stories about these crimes, but then also you are definitely thrown more into crimes that you really didn't commit. So it definitely can go both ways. I will say Alexis Nyers definitely took more of the fall than, than Rachel Lee did. And um, Alexis Nyers, if you have followed any of her life. She actually has a really, really interesting documentary on Vice about her getting clean and her kind of journey to sobriety. She's actually married. She's a kid now. And in that documentary, it's it was came out a few years ago. It's on YouTube. And it really is just a, a look into just you know, the drug epidemic and just how it affects these young kids and how she herself got clean and how she's trying to help her old friend get clean and really, really interesting. You know, I wish Alexis Nyers well. She really lived a very fast lifestyle when she was a kid and has gotten sober since. And that is incredibly impressive to me. I give anyone credit who faces addiction and gets sober. I have nothing but respect. So I wish Alexis Nyers well and just continued success on her journey. Now, I also want to say that as I was going through and researching the bling ring, I definitely have seen that the younger generation definitely glorifies these kids a lot more than they should be. I mean, these should these kids should not be glorified at all. And it's interesting because I saw an old clip of Orlando Bloom on Watch What Happens Live from a few years back, and Andy Cohen had actually asked him if he had seen the bling ring. And Orlando Bloom said something like, only in America can they glamorize robbing someone's home. And that actually is kind of true. I mean, I, when I was reading these comments, a lot of these young kids were kind of praising them for kind of being like anti-capitalist and stealing from the rich and kind of like an eat the rich vibe. And honestly, that was not the case at all. Um, this wasn't a Robin Hood situation where these kids were, you know, stealing from the rich and donating the money to the poor or donating it to charity. They were stealing it so that they could spend money on drugs, spend money on bottle service at Ladue. They were not doing anything good with this money. So it's not like they were getting us universal health care. This wasn't an anti-capitalist agenda. They just were stealing things because they wanted them and didn't have the money to pay for for them. That's how that went. And I'm sorry, we live in a world that sometimes people are going to have a lot more money than you do. Unfortunately, that is just life. And you are not entitled to a Louis Vuitton bag. You are not entitled to bottle service and you are not entitled to just what other people have. You can't go in and break into people's homes. So sorry to get all mom on everybody, but there's nothing that people should glorify about these kids. I mean, they aren't even glorifying themselves. Like they are super low profile now. They know what they did was wrong and it's just, just not a good look. So I just want to throw that out there that please don't glamorize this situation. It was really bad. And you have no right to be breaking into people's homes, no matter how rich they are. You cannot take things that don't belong to you. So as I wrap this up, I want to tell, I want to end on a really funny story. And at least in my mind about the first time I saw the bling ring. Now, like I said, I was always intrigued by the bling ring. So I was really excited when it came out and I really like Sofia Coppola movies and I really like a 24 movies. I mean, I was a Tumblr girl back then. So just the aesthetic always intrigued me. So I was really excited when this movie came out and 
my friend was talking, this was what, 2013, I was like 21 years old. Um, my friend was talking to this kid on OkCupid and she, she wanted to meet up with him, but he's like, oh, I'm hanging out with my friend. And she's like, okay, well, if I, you know, get a friend for your friend, like, do you guys all want to hang out tonight? And he was like, yeah, sure. So she was like, do you want to meet up with these two guys? And I was like, you know what? what the hell? Let's, you know, go out. Let's have fun. So (laughs) they come and they were actually pretty cute. And the guy like who I was going to hang out with actually, I was pretty into him. So I'm like, all right, let's do this. So I remember we started the night out at this like place, uh, on the North side of Chicago, this like wings place. And I can't remember what it was called, but I remember exactly where it is, but it was like an unlimited wings night. And I remember these two guys were just like devouring these wings. They were like inhaling them just like one after another. And they were like low key spicy too. And they were just like eating all these wings. And I remember speaking like, oh my God, what is going on? So after they finished, like probably about like 40 wings, they're like, okay, what's next? And I was like, um, I don't know. And the guy who I was talking to, he actually drove um, this really cool car. I think it was a Camaro. I don't know anything about cars, but it was like this old black Camaro type car. And I remember he was like, do you want to like, go for a ride or go somewhere? And I was like, yeah, sure. So we go and we walk to his car and his friend, who my friend was talking to, like jumped in the driver's seat and was like, I'm going to drive the car, blah, blah. And like the other guy was like, no, like, what what are you doing in my driver's seat? Like, he's like, well, I want to drive. He's like, no, like you can't drive. And they were like fighting over this because the kid was like refusing to get out of the driver's seat. So the other guy was freaking out and like they were screaming at each other in the street. And I remember looking at my friend and kind of giving him the signal, like we need to get the hell out of here. So we just like took off running. (laughs) We just like took off running down the street. We were going down different side streets and then maybe like two blocks over, we just like stopped and we're like, okay, what the hell was that? And as we were rehashing what just happened, the Camaro just like comes like barreling down the street. It was so loud because it was so old. Just like barreling down the street. They see us see stop right in front of us. They're like, hi guys. Like, why did you guys run off? And I was like, yo, dude, you're arguing, you're screaming at each other in the middle of the street. We didn't want to sit there and listen to that. Like, this is weird. We just, we don't want any part of that. And he's like, okay, I'm really sorry. Like, we didn't mean to do that. We still want to hang out with you guys. Like, you guys seem like a lot of fun. We still want to have a night. He's like, what can we do to like make it up to you? And I was like, you can take us to go see the bling ring. (laughs) He was like, what is that? And I was like, it's a film and let's find a theater and you can take us to go see the bling ring. And he was like, okay. So we hop in, we all drive in this like old black Camaro. And I remember it was so old and so loud and it was like rattling. And I don't know, I was like low key living for it. So, and I remember when we got into the parking lot of the theater, it was so loud. Like everyone in the parking lot, like turned and looked at the car. I don't know why I remember this so vividly. So we get into the theater, we see the bling ring obviously love it like I said is the bling ring uh, movie a good tale of what the bling ring actually was no I mean we learned from this entire deep dive that it wasn't exceptionally accurate however is it a pretty decent movie yeah I mean it didn't do well at the box office but I think it's fun it's really short it's only 90 minutes and it's just kind of like a fun watch. Emma Watson's American accent's really funny in it. So I really enjoyed it. And I remember when we walked out, I don't know if they were like low key triggered or what, because they were kind of like bad boys. So 
maybe they do rob people's homes. I'm not exactly sure. This was a long time ago, so I don't want to accuse them of anything, but uh, they didn't really say much when we walked out and he was like, okay, so where do you guys live? And I told them, and then we just got out of the car and they were like, okay, ladies, like have a good night and just drove off. And I remember on the guy's car, his license plate was LOL, you mad? And I was like, damn, like, I don't know. It low key seemed kind of pointed, but (laughs) they just, they did not enjoy the billing ring and wanted to end the night right there, which like I was fine with. And we just never saw those guys or heard from them ever again. (laughs) We just, I don't know where they are. Like I said, I hope I, I wish them well. We wish everyone well here on the diving board podcast. And I mean, yeah, I, Thank you for the ticket to the bling ring. It was enjoyable. I had a good time. I've seen the movie several times since then. And it was just, it was a fun night. So we thank them for that. And again, Godspeed. So I want to thank you for deep diving with me. We're back up to the surface. And I'm, I really hope you guys enjoyed this. And I'm really excited to have launched this podcast. And I have a lot more ideas. So a lot more diving. Let's practice our dives and what our swimming, our butterfly, whatever the swimming poses are. And cause we're going to get into a lot more deep dives in the near future. So again, thank you so much for joining me and I will talk to you next week. Bye everyone.